to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com okay listeners some great discounts and giveaways coming your way if you feel like your sex life has fallen into the same old dull routine break those habits with a fun sexy box from like a kitten right now like a kitten is offering listeners 20 percent off and free shipping when you go to like a kitten.com slash s and s or enter code s and s at checkout like a Kitten has your back when it comes to planning the perfect evening. They take out the guesswork by sending you a themed box with all your erotic essentials, and you get to choose what you want in it. This month, they're helping you choose your own adventure with their BYOB, a.k.a. Build Your Own Box. You get to choose one item out of each of the six categories, toys, beauty, products, lubes and cleansers, games, sexy accessories, and lingerie. In each category, you've got eight or more products, and you can choose from that list. So you can build an experience that's customized to your specific desires. For example, I chose a soothing high-on-love lavender and honey bath oil, uh, a gold handcuff bracelet, a blue silk teddy, really cute rose butt plug, uh, a liquid lube, because, you know, lube is your best friend, uh, and lastly, a cute card deck called A Year of Sex, so you can try new things with your partner. But these are just my choices, so find your own. There are build your own sex box today with Like a Kitten. And again, right now, Like a Kitten is offering listeners 20% off and free shipping when you go to likeakitten.com slash S and S or enter code S and S at checkout. Just go to likeakitten.com slash S A N D S or use code S and S to get 20% off those awesome boxes. Likeakitten.com slash S and S. And the link is in the episode's description. Okay, and I hope you remember that amazing episode that I was talking about last time with Liz Klinger of Lioness. The Lioness was also featured in the episode with the amazing Vaughn Music, who makes music from her orgasm wave patterns, which she tracks using the Lioness technology. So Lioness is a woman-owned, award-winning, science-driven sex toy company founded by Liz Klinger and Anna Lee. The Lioness Smart Vibrator was named one of the 100 Greatest Inventions of 2021 by Popular Science, and it's a great tool for better understanding your body as it uses AI, precision sensors, and biofeedback to help you visualize your arousal and orgasm when paired with the app. Basically, it shows you what your orgasm wave and patterns look like and tells you about what each of them can kind of be. And sometimes it looks different every time. So invest in your pleasure and orgasm. Order a lioness today at lioness.io or and or if you want to win a lioness for free head on over to sluts and scholars instagram and for the next three weeks look at the post about the lioness giveaway the winner will be announced the week of february 28th I just love this technology. First, it's fun and feels great, but it's so amazing to be able to know this part of yourself uh, even more intimately. So again, to enter to win your own Lioness, of course, you can go buy one right now at lioness.io, but to enter to win, follow Lioness Health on Instagram, then go to the Sluts and Scholars Instagram, find the Lioness giveaway post, and comment with a song that represents your orgasm or just a song you find sexy. Winners will be announced the week of February 28th. Now to the episode. Thanks for tuning in. Sluts and Scholars is a sex-positive, shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter. 
While we love to give advice and resources, please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. My name is Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I am excited to welcome Godex Daphne. Uh, They use they, she, and daddy pronouns. Uh, They're a pro-dominatrix and femdom clip creator based out of Portland, Oregon. As a queer dom, Daphne enjoys embodying the role of a femme daddy and playing with submissives or subs of all genders. As a sensual sadist, Daphne enjoys combining pain and pleasure to co-create agonizingly sensual experiences with their submissives. As a dominant goddess, Daphne loves being worshipped and adored. Goddess Daphne has always been fascinated with and passionate about human relationships, sexuality, deep connection, and communication. Daphne sessions with subs in person, creates femdom videos, and trains slaves online. A few favorite kinks of Daphne's are tease and denial, strap-on play, cock and ball torture, needle play, consensual non-consent, and talking to you sweetly while beating you mercilessly. Welcome, <laughs> Goddess Daphne. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Honestly, like not to be weird, I feel like this intro makes me like way too excited. <laughs> it's so yes. like sensually written, and I'm like, oh. let's see. So I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 I need to calm, I need to calm down a little bit here. Um, okay, so what does being a femme daddy mean to you, and why is it important that we have daddies of all genders? Such a good question. Well, I'm someone who loves playing with the taboo of family dynamics. You know, it's certainly popular, like in porn and in kink. Um, It always has been, especially, you know, if you look back throughout leather culture. And I think these days in, in the more mainstream adult world, we really see those relationships being played with. And there's a lot of awesome dom mommies. But for me, as someone who's gender fluid and who loves kind of like gender fuckery, I find daddy to invoke in me a little bit more of a powerful response. And then my subs also find it very powerful to use that term mm-hmm. as applied to me, someone who's like very, you know, femme presenting. It just is like a little bit spicy. And, um, well, and it sounds like you fun. don't feel as aligned if someone were to call you mommy or mommy, Donnie or whatever. Right. Yeah. That I'm not against that. I do some role plays with that, but it doesn't really like resonate and make me feel as like oh yes as daddy mm-hmm. yeah. yes yeah I love that I yeah what do you think it is why is this such uh I think people are be- starting to become more comfortable and like calling mm-hmm. everybody daddy these days mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> totally <laughs> which like sometimes I love but also I don't want to like minimize the uh responsibility of like a true daddy um For but sure. I definitely like love using it in lots of areas of things like why do you think this has become such a common thing that people are finally admitting that they love? <laughs> Notice how I didn't say it's a new thing people like, because I think right. it's like, no. yeah, now it's just like people are all admitting that everyone loves a daddy. <laughs> right. I mean, I think it's one of those things we see so often in kink where like people have been doing this for decades and decades and it just has been more niche and they've been considered maybe more of the like fringe outsiders and then slowly things just get more mainstreamed you know more and more people are like oh wait this does kind of turn me on this does kind of nurture me maybe this doesn't need to be such a big like big taboo yeah and I think kind of 
larger scale, our culture puts so much pressure on the nuclear family that it's such a natural thing to become taboo. And there is unfortunately so much, you know, abuse that can happen within the nuclear family and does happen. Mm-hmm. That I think people find it really empowering and just like fun and a good way to disperse tension to take it back and make it like sexy. Yeah. To re to reclaim it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, that kind of leads me to my next topic and something I really wanted to to chat with you about today. So one of the things that you focus mm-hmm. on or that you say you focus on with clients is consensual non-consent. Yeah. So for listeners out there who maybe are hearing this for the first time, um, mm-hmm. how do you define that and, and tell us more about that? Definitely. Consensual non-consent is one of my favorite, you know, big, broad areas of kink and something that I've been exploring in my personal life and professionally for many years. And I think the way you can broadly define it is engaging in activities where you are role-playing a non-consensual act, but making sure you discuss and negotiate all of the details beforehand. Mm -hmm. And I think some people, when they hear this, it's it can be a little confusing to them because they're like, how can something feel risky and non-consensual if we've worked out all the details beforehand? But you will definitely find that your body has a very extreme and, you know, pleasant or unpleasant response when you're in the moment, even if you've negotiated. So this can look like a lot of things, you know, it can look like being maybe aggressed upon in a way that you would never actually want to happen in real life, but you have this certain, Um, arousal connected to it and you want to explore it in a safe container this is definitely a kink to play with you know to play with with other people who you trust who are good communicators who have good boundaries because it can it can go awry but it can also be a really powerful place to explore these you know desires that you can't explore safely otherwise yeah I think something that I wonder about with this that I try to help clients with is how do we make sure or what do we do when someone gets triggered in a way that isn't a fun trigger mm-hmm. in the session? And I think the the response I worry about the most with this is um, the freeze response. And if you don't know what that is, go yeah. back to some of the, um, go back to some of the episodes listeners that I've done with folks talking about the nervous system with like Jennifer Burton flyer. Um, but basically mm-hmm. in short, the freeze response is that kind of overwhelm response that our nervous system can get in when we feel like there's a threat that we can't face. Um, and so mm-hmm. that can look like shutdown, that can sometimes look like depression, that can look like not speaking, or feeling like you can't move or can't escape. Um, how do we make sure we're like checking in with safe words and stuff if someone is frozen and we can't tell because they just look fine on the outside? Right. Yeah, I think that's always a tricky one. And, you know, BDSM is definitely not ever going to be perfectly safe. Um, and I would say that is, that's a good thing to keep in mind with like easing into things, mm-hmm. you know, don't, don't go with the f- most extreme consensual non-consent fantasy you have to begin with. Yeah. Don't um, have someone do like a home break-in invasion if right. you just met them on a uh, field. Ex- exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and even if you know someone well, you maybe might off field or elsewhere. Um, yeah. Don't start with that. Start with something for you that you feel like as confident as you can that it's not going to trigger you. Don't dive into your most extreme fantasy with someone you just met. And even if you do know this person well, start with like a smaller version of your fantasy, something that you feel pretty confident won't trigger you. 
triggers still happen. And I would say that that is like, if you are kind of the bottom or the sub in the situation and you have that freeze response, it's the responsibility of the Dom to, to check in with you and you can check in in a way that is still within the scene, you know, asking like, do you like this? Or if you're using a more laid out, um, safe word structure, you know, you can be like, are you still feeling green? Are you still feeling go, you know, whatever your system is. Um, or you can just pause the scene. Like I think people, when it comes to role play can worry like, Oh, if we pause the scene fully, how are we going to get back into it? And I don't find that that is actually as much of an issue. It's way more important to like have the check-ins. Um, yeah, I think people yeah, are so that, worried they're going to get in their head and then they, because this does happen for people where they get pulled right. out and then they're right. like, oh, if I get pulled out, that means it's done. As opposed right. to normalizing that there's always going to be something that pulls you out of the moment, whether it's a, a sound, an insecurity, right. a noise, a body response. And the goal is to figure out how do I know when that happens? How do I track that mm-hmm. for myself and my partner? And then how do I, as Emily Nagoski would call it, like reaccelerate? <laughs> You know, how do I get back mm-hmm. into it? How do I turn off the offs? Because it's going to happen. And it doesn't mean shit Absolutely. has to be done. It's just, yeah, you may have to slow back down. You may have to go back a couple right. places. You may have to do something. You may need to go take a glass of water. And and, and you can come back. Like, you can reaccelerate a car. Completely. Completely. Yeah. And if you are really just out of the moment, that's okay. You can revisit that scene again another time. You know, just I think like our whole culture and our whole lives, we we internalize this need for things to be like perfect and go exactly as we plan. And that doesn't happen like in any aspect of life, yeah. unfortunately. So but we still want the same with kink. I know. I want it too. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So I have some research informed theories and beliefs on this, but like, why do you think consensual non consent mm-hmm. is so popular? Um, why do people find themselves being into this? It is so popular. Um, I'll speak from my personal experience, which I also have seen applied to a lot of people, which is that our culture is so abusive and so disempowering to just about everyone and especially to, you know, marginalized groups. Um, And you can have so many different layers within that, that I think it's a very wise response for our body to eroticize this thing that can be really painful. You know, that's what I found for myself. I I started getting like consensual non-consent desires um, when I was a really young teenager, like when I was coming into my sexuality. Mm. And And I'm sure no one was telling you about that in sex ed. So you were like, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I feel very grateful that I didn't internalize much shame about it. And I know a lot of people do. Yeah, I definitely, I didn't learn about it in sex ed, but um, I think I had some really great friends who I could share about it and they were like, oh, totally me too. And we were able to really find it normal. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think that's the main thing is that we experience a lot of non-consensual things within a colonial capital civilized world that we would not have experienced, you know, maybe thousands of years ago and our body's like okay how am I going to deal with this like this is really hard I'm going to make it a fantasy I'm going to make it something that I can derive pleasure from which is a really smart response in my mind yeah what I see just to to add to that and I think this Mm -hmm. is you know if you go look up some research stuff like things have maybe shifted over time there's always new research coming out so Mm -hmm. some of this is 
dated. Some of this is still true today, but I think one is the, the first one that you said, which is like as a as a trauma response. And that doesn't mean yeah. it's bad. I think it can be very healing and corrective. Mm-hmm. Um, I especially tell this to my clients who have experienced some sort of non-consensual thing, um, who then get freaked out when they're fantasizing about it. Yeah. Um, and so I think it brings up the point that like desire is not always the same as arousal. So again, desire mm-hmm. is like a thing you want in your head and arousal is your body's physical response meaning that you can have one without the other. So there have been folks I've seen who have had who had arousal during a non-consensual experience and were like blaming right. themselves or did I like this? Ugh. So yeah. this is, uh, it, firstly, not your fault. It is a normal physiological response to become aroused with touch. Absolutely. And that doesn't mean you were consenting. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that, and then secondly, this can be a way to re-narrate the non-consensual experience. So like you're saying, if your mind is doing this to kind of heal, to process things, because remember in a fantasy, you are in charge. You are able Mm -hmm. to step away from it. You are able to, you know, maybe say no. I mean, we can't always control fantasies that pop up, but you're able to re-narrate this and re-author this and have like a corrective experience where you're in power in the safety of your own mind. So I think that's, the one one key reason another one that people have like hypothesized about is that it has to do with a shame response um Mm. so for people who are experiencing some kind of shame about their sexuality if they are forced to do it Mm -hmm. then it's not oh yeah yeah then it's not their fault (laughs) right then it's like they made me do it um right they made me do this thing like i'm not a slut i was i was forced to do it so it's like um giving away your um, responsibility in it because it's not on you. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up in relation to consensual non-consent more broadly, because that is something that I see time and time again with my clients specifically, you know, related to coerced by and other, um, niches within consensual non-consent. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about that. So coerced by or coerced by sexual or forced by I mean, mm-hmm. I think you can tell from the title what that is, but what is that? <laughs> um, and let's talk about it. Yeah, let's talk about it. So I think for a long time, it was more commonly called forced by. I prefer coerced by because I think it um, allows for a little bit more of the range of emotions that do genuinely come up for people. So coerced by is a, you know, it's a specific fantasy within a consensual non-consent fantasy where um, at least in, in my world as a dom, I'm seeing it w- with submissives approaching me. You know, other people, non-submissive people may also have this fantasy. But just in my context, within a DS dynamic, subs are approaching me or are approaching a dom and they want to be forced, coerced, or encouraged to do queer gay things. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so many Lots thoughts about this. So <laughs> what what does this what does this say about our culture and the narratives around like masculinity and, or mm-hmm. I don't want to just assume it's men coming us in for this. So like, right. what is the gender breakdown that you usually see of forced by? Right. It, it is largely cis men who come in looking mm-hmm. for a coerced by experience. I play with subs of all I genders. I didn't want to assume that, but that makes sense. No. Yeah, totally. It totally makes <laughs> sense. Um, I have seen people who are into, um, you know, it maybe is a little bit more of like 
nuanced, like coerced queer because they're already queer if they're coming to me. But that is definitely the minority. It's usually cis men who are seeking this, um, like you said, because of the huge taboos that still exist around queerness and homosexuality within our culture. Yeah. So going into that more, like, what Mm -hmm. does this say about masculinity and gayness and that yeah that they feel like they have to come to you to be forced to do it yeah I mean I think it just says that our culture is still really fucked up (laughs) like and that and that you know I would say in the vast majority of ways cis men have privilege in our culture but then maybe within the queer realm, I would say they still have a little bit less freedom than people of other genders to be openly queer. Mm -hmm. At least that's what I see, that um, there are a lot more cis men who carry shame around their queer or bi desires than other genders. And it's interesting in my practice that there's a couple different general groups of subs who approach me with slightly different coerced by desires tell us some (laughs) yeah i think it also says a lot about taboos of our culture there's one group of subs who come to me and they genuinely don't consider themselves gay they genuinely aren't very attracted to like cis men um But for them, they want to submit to me so fully. And the biggest taboo that they can think of is doing a gay activity. And so Mm. that is their way of like utterly surrendering to me is, you know, whether in fantasy or in an actual session, me, you know, forcing them to suck a dick, get fucked, kiss a guy. They can't imagine anything more taboo or more submissive, which also, Mm -hmm. you know, is an interesting commentary about our view of masculinity and like what is considered a submissive act. Yeah. Like that, that's the thing that's so taboo. (laughs) Right. Totally. Okay. Listeners, some great discounts and giveaways coming your way. If you feel like your sex life has fallen into the same old dull routine, break those habits with a fun, sexy box from Like a Kitten. Right now, Like a Kitten is offering listeners 20% off and free shipping when you go to likeakitten.com slash S and S or enter code S and S at checkout. Like a Kitten has your back when it comes to planning the perfect evening. They take out the guesswork by sending you a themed box with all your erotic essentials, and you get to choose what you want in it. This month, they're helping you choose your own adventure with their BYOB, aka Build Your Own Box. You get to choose one item out of each of the six categories, toys, beauty, products, lubes and cleansers, games, sexy accessories, and lingerie. In each category, you've got eight or more products, and you can choose from that list. So you can build an experience that's customized to your specific desires. For example, I chose a soothing high-on-love lavender and honey bath oil, uh, a gold handcuff bracelet, a blue silk teddy, really cute rose butt plug, uh, a liquid lube, because, you know, lube is your best friend, uh, and lastly, a cute card deck called A Year of Sex, so you can try new things with your partner. But these are just my choices, so find your own. 
there are build your own sex box today with like a kitten. And again, right now, like a kitten is offering listeners 20% off and free shipping. When you go to like a kitten.com slash S and S or enter code S and S at checkout, just go to like a kitten.com slash S A N D S or use code S and S to get 20% off those awesome boxes, like a kitten.com slash S and S. And the link is in the episode's description. Okay, and I hope you remember that amazing episode that I was talking about last time with Liz Klinger of Lioness. The Lioness was also featured in the episode with the amazing Vaughn Music, who makes music from her orgasm wave patterns, which she tracks using the Lioness technology. So Lioness is a woman-owned, award-winning, science-driven sex toy company founded by Liz Klinger and Anna Lee. The Lioness Smart Vibrator was named one of the 100 Greatest Inventions of 2021 by Popular Science, and it's a great tool for better understanding your body as it uses AI, precision sensors, and biofeedback to help you visualize your arousal and orgasm when paired with the app. Basically, it shows you what your orgasm wave and patterns look like and tells you about what each of them can kind of be. And sometimes it looks different every time. So invest in your pleasure and orgasm. Order a lioness today at lioness.io or and or if you want to win a lioness for free, head on over to Sluts and Scholars Instagram and for the next three weeks, look at the post about the lioness giveaway. The winner will be announced the week of February 28th. I just love this technology. First, it's fun and feels great, but it's so amazing to be able to know this part of yourself uh, even more intimately. So again, to enter to win your own Lioness, of course, you can go buy one right now at lioness.io, but to enter to win, follow Lioness Health on Instagram, then go to the Sluts and Scholars Instagram, find the Lioness giveaway post, and comment with a song that represents your orgasm, or just a song you find sexy. Winners will be announced the week of February 28th. Now to the episode. And then there's another, you know, general group that comes to me who has these these innate desires to be queer, to be bi. And like you said earlier, they just need someone to encourage them or force them to live out these true desires. Mm-hmm. That Yeah, that's what yeah. I was going to ask, because I was wondering if you think anyone who's wanting that or offering that, like could possibly call them like I don't think anyone's ever like fully straight you know so I'm like I'm like uh, (laughs) is this just yeah is this just the gateway to help people like find their queerness but it sounds like the former is they might Mm -hmm. enjoy it for a physical pleasure sensation but the enjoyment is Mm -hmm. more coming from submitting and serving you than like I want to fuck men right which again doesn't mean you're gay or bi also totally totally and I think you know there are some subs who who don't even enjoy it, you know, yeah. but that's what they enjoy. They enjoy not enjoying. They get turned on by the the fact the that they are only doing this because they're forced. But yeah, I think there yeah. are some, you know, genuinely like as straight as you can be people who aren't, mm-hmm. who aren't lying to themselves. They genuinely don't have any queer desires. They just find it a hot taboo. Yeah, I mean, I think it even speaks to our culture that like it's even called forced by, right? That there's this <laughs> assumption that if you enjoy or have pleasure with same-sex folks, that it means you fit into this category now or that that's what's happening as opposed to like, oh, mm-hmm. this is just a, a pleasurable experience. But I wonder for mm-hmm. you, since you're a gender fluid, would you call yourself gender fluid or non-binary? Yeah. 
Um, yeah, since you're since work. you're a gender fluid person, how do you feel about the title bisexual anyway? Because when I hear that, I think of yeah, male female, right? It's still kind right. of in this in this binary. Totally. Yeah, I don't use the term as applied to myself because I have the same feelings come up of it feels too binary. But I have had some friends who are very understanding of gender and of sexuality who still like bisexual. And the way that they define it is more like I'm bi as and I'm attracted to people of my same gender and attracted to people of my other gender, which to them mm-hmm. leaves a lot more room for like the whole gender spectrum. Um, yeah, but I think it just is the term that's used because people in our larger larger culture still think within the, you know, the gender binary. And yeah, I, I wish it was like coerced queer, but. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you could start calling it that, but then it's yeah, hard totally. to market that if someone's never heard yeah. that before. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, maybe I'll start using that within my personal work, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. once they kind of know what it is, I guess. Um, right. Yeah, it's the same thing in sex therapy because I don't operate from a um, sex addiction uh, treatment model mm-hmm. um, because I don't, I think it's a, based on a very shaming uh, treatment model. And a lot of people use that term. so widely that they'll call and they'll be like oh do you treat sex addiction right and so I don't want to get into right. a 30 minute long conversation with them about <laughs> actually we call it out of control sexual behavior right. because of the like shaming history of this and so it's like yes and <laughs> as we go along I kind of explain to them um why I don't use that framework personally but yeah it's a tough totally. line between breaking down the binary and marketing your services <laughs> absolutely and making sure the people who want to find you can still find you with something like and yeah, people sex who addiction. really identify as bisexual aren't erased also right exactly yeah i have no problem with the term at all well without giving away um identities and protecting anonymity are there any mm. um circumstances scenes, situations that you'd be willing to share featuring consensual non-consent or coerced uh bisexual yeah, some maybe some common ones I see. Yeah, or just like fun ones that you've had that you thought just were like really ones. wonderful. Yeah, because look, we started the yeah. conversation like covering the consent piece and a little bit of trauma mm-hmm. stuff. And like, I always want to, you know, go over that. But I also want people to remember that this is like fun and can be fun and pleasurable oh. and enjoyable. It's so, so like, fun. Yeah. Yes. Well, I just want to make a note on that before I will happily dive into juicy details which is that when I first started playing with this kink professionally, I had a lot of, you know, thoughts within myself of like, how can I play with this kink without perpetuating homophobia, without perpetuating these things that I don't believe in? Mm -hmm. And I think so much of it is what you said of like, this can be fun. And even if we are including humiliation, even if we are including, you know, degradation, this is still a space for you to explore being queer for you to see this as like a normal desire and, and to just enjoy the pleasure and fun of it. Because I think that's, that's what part of why taboos have so much power is that they're just like this horrible, awful thing that's going to ruin your life. And then you can be like, no, it's actually really fun and silly and, you know, pleasurable to enjoy these things. Like it doesn't need to be such a big deal don't you know i think it can help erase a little bit of like the shame that people do have Mm. around these desires 
Yeah, I think that I guess before we get to the to the juicy details, I, I love to talk a mm-hmm. little more about that. How do you feel like, mm-hmm. or how do you talk to clients about that? Because I'm imagining there could be a situation where there is a backfire effect, I guess, of someone guiding yeah. this and then being like, oh, it is shameful that they had to make me do this. So like, how, right. how do you walk that line with clients to have fun and not shame these desires while also maybe helping people mm-hmm. learn and, and give themselves permission. That seems like a, seems like a hard line to walk. It's definitely difficult. It's especially difficult on the internet because some of the people I play with on the internet, I get to know well, and some of them I don't. And, you know, I make, I make clips. And so I'm not sure what level of education someone has when they're watching that clip. So the way that I handle it is that I don't do any sort of humiliation about um, queer desires unless I know someone well and I understand that they are doing that just as a kinky fun thing and that they are not going to take it seriously as like, oh, it is actually bad that I have these desires. So I don't that I I really think that you're gay for doing this or whatever. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So just for my just for my like peace of mind, I don't personally make any uh, heavy humiliation clips about it. And there's also, I mean, there's so much interesting nuance because, uh, you know, like with the word faggot, a lot of clients, a lot of subs want you to call them these terms. And I also am very careful with, with who I use that term with, because, you know, as a queer person with a lot of queer friends, that term has been very much, um, you know, reclaimed just like queer has, but I don't personally feel comfortable using it to like, help a cis straight man jerk off while I'm calling him that when he actually like doesn't respect queer people. Mm. So I use that term and I use humiliation um, carefully. And, and yeah, I just think it's like a hard part of, of being on the internet where like, you know, I, I kind of was going to go into more the sex counseling field before I became a pro-dom. And so part of me understands that it's not my responsibility to be a sex educator while I'm doming someone and that like they need to be getting yeah. appropriate sex education outside of our sessions and understanding the, you know, yeah. complexities of it. But that's definitely not always happening. Would you ever refer clients to do that? Or you feel like you're, you're just like, tell them it's not in your wheelhouse. I mean, it sounds like it is in your wheelhouse, but you're saying like, that's not what you're here for. Oh no, I would totally refer them. And I would totally even have a conversation with them about it. It just is in, you know, sometimes my sessions or my relationships with people are limited and they want to come for me to come to me for the kink. They don't want to come to Mm -hmm. me for the education. Well, and I would imagine too, that the, potential discussion or healing of that obviously can happen in the discussion and you know discussion before you have a scene but then also in the aftercare and if you're just Mm -hmm. tuning in aftercare would be the conversation the check-in the caretaking that happens after you do some play together especially if it's on a really taboo edgy topic how how do you if at all or are able to how can aftercare be included on like clips and stuff because i imagine you know there's only so much Mm -hmm. you can cover in a short time people's attention spans a lot of people are there just to like enjoy get off like is that part of it after clip care is not part of my pov clips um you know my clips where i'm talking to the camera and there's no one there's no other scene partners yeah um 
a lot of clip artists have like an aftercare specific clip which you can buy mm-hmm. which I think is a really mm-hmm. great idea yeah. um I do include aftercare if I'm doing like a recorded scene of a live session or if I'm playing with another performer yeah. that's almost always going to be a part of it but yeah that's that is you know the downside of clips is that it's more of a like porn situation and less of a full-on session where there's like the yeah negotiation and the aftercare yeah i mean you definitely don't see i wish it was more included in more mainstream porn to like see the afterwards yes. you know <laughs> as opposed to like it's i just came all over part. you and now you have to I lay there in this forever <laughs> right not totally, like let me because... bring you water here's a towel i think it'd be nice to see that naturally yeah let's talk about you know how fun it was after we clean you up and I agree. I love seeing those moments. And I do love the, you know, independent porn creators who include that. Mm-hmm. I think it's really yeah. special. Yeah, yeah. So it can be so beautiful to see and normalizing and, and like sexy in a different way. Um, right. Okay. So yeah, let's go totally. back to the fun, the fun part. <laughs> <laughs> the fun part of the different scenarios. Well, I'll start with one that I think is very common and has a lot of fun oh. iterations, but really common scenario that I enjoy and that people tend to enjoy is this buildup of, you know, I'm spending time with my submissive. Maybe we go out to dinner. We're doing a little bit of um, covert public play of me dominating them. Maybe I um, take a sip of their glass and I spit in it a little bit and make them drink it. And then we go back to their hotel, tell them to get on their knees And then they suddenly hear a knocking on the hotel door, which they're finding very odd because it's supposed to be just a session between us. And I get a little grin on my face and I tell them not to turn around. I go open the door and a man comes in, maybe another submissive of mine, maybe a lover of mine if they're into cuckolding, which is another very common add-on to the coerced by fantasy. And, you know, whether it be lovingly and encouragingly me holding their hair and whispering in their ear, telling them to start slowly kissing this man's stomach, or if it's more aggressively me calling them a little bitch and telling them that they're going to do exactly what I say and then making them kiss his stomach. (laughs) I slowly coerce them into putting this man's cock in their mouth and they're looking at me, they're kind of confused, they're, we're not expecting this, but suddenly they're kind of enjoying it, and I show them um, that they can be a good little secretly gay subby for me, (laughs) that they can please me, (laughs) that they can please themselves. Well, and I guess depending how, depending how they want to feel also is going to determine what you say, right? Like if they're wanting the shame piece, it's like, dirty little gay, you dirty little faggot, dirty little gay slut, but, or, or if they're just wanting to be a good, good boy for you, then it's like, look how good you are for daddy or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And one part that I find really fun about it is that whether or not they have truly gay desires because they're coming to me as a submissive it's very important for them to feel like they're pleasing me and that they're doing this right and I really enjoy that because then I can tell them no I want you to kneel a little bit differently no I want you to you know take his hands go deeper like this exactly Mm. and 
Oh, and this then I can so kind fun. Of, yeah, create the scenario exactly how I want it to be. Yeah. So that is really fun. And then, you know, maybe with a little bit more of a, a queer lens, I can have two of my femme submissives who I say, I just want to have a little hangout. The three of us, you two can get to know each other. Maybe we can um, have dinner and then have a sleepover. And then I start being like, oh, you know, you two both find femmes and women so beautiful, but you've never had any sort of experiences where you got to kiss another femme. Wouldn't it be so fun to try that? Especially with me here, because you trust me and I'm so safe. And why don't you two just touch each other's hair and maybe you can try kissing her neck. Maybe you can kiss their neck and... That is certainly something that doesn't happen as often, but that I love my queer. Oh my god! Take all, take all my money. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Everyone give Goddess all of your money. (laughs) Yes, please. Even just your way of describing it and intonations, I could see like how good at your job you would be for sure. Thank Um, you. I mean, it sounds like such a safe, lovely space for people to to Mm. explore that. How do you find the? yeah, how do you find the other folks who are coming to join you as like that uh, that other partner uh, to come in and mm-hmm. play with? Is it like other sex workers you work with? Um, is mm-hmm. it friends? Is it partners? Like, how do you how do you find folks to do that with you and know that you can really trust them yeah. in that space? Well, to be honest, most people I've found into this fantasy are not wanting it to translate into a real life session. I have oh, okay. done that a couple of times. Um, but it's but a often lot of just people, playing it out in, yeah. their, in their heads and stuff. Right. Even if the two of us are in person together, um, I think I think people who are coming to a dom for this instead of pursuing it on their own still have a little bit of a ways to go before they're ready to take that step. And then some people may never want to take that step. You know, just like any consensual non-consent fantasy, for a lot of us, some of our fantasies are like, fun to just stay as fantasies and maybe to talk out with a real person but not to do it yeah but and it's fine to just keep it as a fantasy unless it's unless you're coming to get permission to take these next steps right it is totally fine to keep it as a fantasy and i have had people who you know we go back and forth with this fantasy for months we have different online sessions and then they suddenly are like hey i got on grinder and i like went on my first you know, gay hookup. And it was awesome. I'm like, that's wonderful. So people definitely Daddy's so happy for you. (laughs) Daddy is so proud of you. (laughs) (laughs) But when we do it in person, um, I found it to be most successful if I'm doing it. Yeah, with someone who I know, you know, whether um, another sex worker or, or just a friend or even a very trusted submissive, I wouldn't do a session where I didn't know the special guest well, yeah. because I want to make sure that they're trustworthy and that they are going to also be um, fun and supportive for the submissive to play with. Yeah. I mean, I could imagine yeah. it going to someone you knew less if you had really established a thing together and they were okay with whatever the outcome, you know, like having them hit on someone at a bar, but that could always right. end, you know, dangerously, poorly, like unsafely. Right. Um, but that might be the, totally. the edge play someone's looking for, I guess. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's so interesting. <laughs> oh, anything else that you want people to know about um, 
coerced by. I would just say if you have coerced by desires or any bigger consensual non-consent desires to just know that it's super normal, super common, um, and can be a fun thing to explore if you feel ready. <clears throat> like you said, you know, we don't want this to be anything that adds any more trauma or shame if you're not ready to explore it. But, but I see a lot of just plain fun, simple, really amazing fun times, and then also some healing and breakthrough for people. So just know that it's a, a possibility and really great space to explore with someone that you can trust. Yeah. And just for other listeners out there, I mean, I think all the stuff you said can apply to other very taboo themes or, or edgy topics. So for some, that's race play, yeah. playing within racial dynamics. For some, um, I mean, I've even heard people doing it with like, um, like Jewish Nazi kind of thing, which can be very triggering mm. for some people. I mean, there, there's so many sure. topics that people play with the, the power in. And I think if you, yeah, if you develop that trust and, and approach it the way you're doing kind of respecting and acknowledging these nuances with like a mind yeah. for, um, I think for, yeah, for destigmatizing and, and, um, and supporting people. I think there's, I mean, if you can imagine it, it's out there, you know? Yes, definitely. And it's definitely out there within your own mind where you can yeah. explore it. One mm -hmm. of the last things before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you about is you also mentioned that you do needle play. Um, I haven't had yeah. anyone, I think on the podcast really talk much about that, but um, tell Ooh. me about needle play and um, how do you make sure that you're navigating that uh, as safely as possible while still making people definitely. bleed? <laughs> yes, definitely. Oh, this is so fun. I didn't know we were going to talk about needle play and I love Are you okay to talk play. about it? Yes, I'm okay. I'm stoked to talk about it. It is one of my favorite kinks. I would say make sure that you are playing with someone who has had training. Are there good classes for people who don't want to get like a full nursing degree but are like kinky and want right. to know the basics? <laughs> like are there good classes for this? Totally. Yeah, there are good classes in person and online. I will share some links with you after this to maybe include Thank in you. the show notes for yeah, online classes. Um, but I love needle play because I love blood. I love making people bleed. And um, needle play can definitely hurt. And so it can feed into my sadism. And then it can also be very sensual and sweet, which those are some of my yeah. favorite kinks that can go either way. Um, I find a lot of just aesthetic beauty and blood running down people's skin in the sharp, cold metal needle piercing skin. And it's also a really great kink to ritualize, which I think is powerful for people. It's definitely powerful for me to have your kinky play include this, um, you know, there's all the prep. There's the alcohol wipes, your dom's putting on the gloves, making sure everything is clean and sterile and you're doing it in a place where you can collect the bloody needles and yeah. What do you like what do you like most about the ritual aspect? And again, I think people are hearing like blood mm. and ritual. We're not talking about like ritual sacrifice unless that's your kink. <laughs> no. But like the uh, I would say ritual is something that you do with like like holding space and intention. Mm -hmm. Is that that's intention. what you mean, right? 
Yes. Yes. Thank you for clarifying. That's exactly what I mean. It's a very intentional session and kink. Um, Unless you're just like throwing a random needle in someone who you trust really well, which like maybe some people are doing that. I typically do it in a more ritualized way. And I love ritual, like you said, with the intention, with the um, space being set up and then closed, because I think it's something that humans have had ritual as part of our lives for hundreds of thousands of years. And now we actually have very literal, little ritual and um, very little ritual and very little meaningful ritual. So this can be something that's really meaningful. It can be about sacrificing or it can just be about connecting. It can be about, you know, when you're doing needleplay, you're very present in the moment. It's very meditative. And um, yeah, just a great way to be in your body. Oh, I love that. And for folks listening, if you want to hear more about ritual, if you haven't listened to it, I would suggest you to go back to an episode with goddess Coco Meow. And she mm. talks about like rituals with beauty and um, taking care of yourself. So definitely would recommend that. But just to wrap up before we have mm-hmm. to close on the needle play, um, give us an array of like what that could look like. Because I imagine it could well, yeah. I don't just imagine. I know it can range from uh, just holding. <laughs> oh, and do holding. you know? <laughs> I know. Uh, I may have, uh, you know, wa- a friend watched or something. Um, no, I've done it. Um, okay, yeah. so it could be just ranging on one side from like just holding a knife or a needle up to somebody with the fear right. of that and what that can represent. But give me a range sure. of like what this can look like. Yeah. I think it can be for people who are interested in a lot of sensation play, maybe you're masochists. And in that context, it can just look like, you know, I, um, I don't do as much of the holding the edge up to someone's skin fear play. I think that's super fun, but I more enjoy the actual piercing. And so at the space that I play at called Sub Rosa in Portland, which is a really wonderful fetish space that, um, you can rent. They have a little area that's kind of a like a beautiful medical, vintagey medical area. And so mm-hmm. there's a chair that you can sit in. And some people want to go in the more medical kink direction. And then some people just want to be sitting up or laying in a bed. And, um, you know, it can be as simple as in- me inserting a few needles into their skin, really going slow, really savoring it. And then I have people who I insert dozens and dozens of needles into their skin over the course of an hour or two. And there's this, um, you know, this buildup as the pain is building and as the blood is flowing. And then there's the release component as the needles are coming out. And um, one, I think also that you said it can be very meditative for people, right? So it can either be you really have to be present in your body or some people I guess some people mm-hmm. maybe go into dissociation if that's what they're they're needing right. or wanting, but also, sure. um, yeah, having to sort of sit with that. If any of you listeners have tattoos, I think it can be similar to that like right. state you can get into and like endorphins yeah. going um, mm-hmm. for a long period Definitely. of time. Definitely, yeah, it can feel so nice. And and for me, as the you know, as the dom, who I'm not necessarily having the endorphins flow, I'm still getting in that kind of flow state headspace of the meditation and and just the visceral beauty of the blood and um the and seeing the you know it's a very 
embodied kink. So seeing my submissive react and make yeah. noises. And I'm also all about like harm reduction. And so mm. again, I'm not your doctor or your therapist. So definitely talk to someone mm-hmm. if this is going on for you. But I do think kind of coming back to that theme we were talking about earlier of consensual non-consent, that this can be a way for people who are maybe struggling with like self-harm or craving intense feelings mm. in their body or like needing a release. I think a safer, mm. um, yeah, more informed way of doing that. And like having this as an outlet and having it be a healing experience as opposed to something you do dangerously in shadow and secret and alone. Um, and right. so I definitely think it's a way that people can explore intense sensations if they're needing that release, but in a supportive, safer mm. way. I think that's a really, really beautiful idea. I haven't ever had someone explicitly tell me that they were doing that, but that makes so much sense to me, especially if you can find someone to play with who maybe you express that you would love a little extra aftercare, a little extra affirmation, you know, to kind of, like you said, maybe undo some of the negatives of the self-harm loop that can happen and transform this into a different, safer practice. Right. That's a great idea. Oh, amazing. Well, we really fucking covered the gamut here today. (laughs) (laughs) Hope you're not squeamish out there. (laughs) Yeah, okay. I can put a little put a little trigger. I feel like all my episodes I I guess should have a trigger warning. Um, but most people I think get that when they see the title. Um, so how can people uh find you, support you, um, hire you, uh worship you, all the things? (laughs) Yes. Well, on the topic of needle play, something exciting that is happening within the next few months, I'm not sure when this is coming out, but I submitted a film into the Hump Film Festival, which is going to be <gasps> playing yeah, in person. Um, I think it starts just throughout the West Coast and then maybe travels throughout the country. But I and submitted for people a... who don't know, Hump is a um, mm-hmm. submission-based film festival. Is it created by Dan Savage? Yeah. Um, yeah. where people can showcase all kinds of alternative things. And it's great because it's real people doing real stuff that they like. Yeah, exactly. It's awesome. I love this film festival. And I just submitted a needle play film that got accepted for this year, for 2022. Oh, cool. So go check it out if you'd like. And then in terms of connecting with me, my website is godxdaphne.com. And my Twitter is the same at godxdaphne. If you go to my website, that's where you can find all my information about the correct way to approach me, the correct way to play with me. If you just want to like buy my clips, you can do it through there. Um, so that's a good central spot. Come find me. I want to make you gay. <laughs> I want to make everyone gay. <laughs> that's the quote for this week. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks everyone for tuning in and listening and for your open minds. Again, if you want to follow what I'm doing, mm-hmm. I'm on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars. Um, often shadow banned, so make sure you uh, find your way there yeah. if you can. Uh, Twitter at Slut Scholars, <laughs> and don't forget to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts, and make sure you use those discount codes for the advertisers because it also supports the podcast, and you get good free shit. So talk to you next week. <laughs> Thank you, Nicoletta. Scholars.